We come to our sermon text for this morning, which is Acts chapter 18, verses 1 through 17. Uh, We've been working our way through Acts on most Sunday mornings, and uh, what we've been hearing is that Jesus is on the move, and he's on the move through his disciples and through uh, the, the mission that he's sending them out on. And so we come to Acts chapter 18 which is on page. Let me find it and I'll tell you. Nine twenty seven. I heard someone beat me to it. As as you arrive there, uh, stand out of respect for the reading of God's word. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogues every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul believed, and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months, teaching the word of God among, men, among them. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, The Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God, contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. And they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Amen. You may be seated. The book of Acts is the action book of the New Testament. There's always something happening. You could almost say it's the the energizer bunny of the Bible. Uh, The book of Acts just keeps moving and moving. And of course, this is because Jesus, at the very beginning of the book of Acts, sent his church out on a mission. He said, I'm going to ascend to the right hand of the Father, and from there, you're going to go out. And I'm going to be king on my heavenly throne, and I'm going to direct my mission out to the world. Now, what was this mission all about? Well, of course, this mission was about the good news that there is salvation. There is redemption from our selfish and sinful and rebellious hearts. 
And there is a solution to our deepest problem, which is our separation from God and the guilt which we cannot get rid of on our own. And that is only through the work that Jesus has already accomplished. And so it's no surprise that there's just motion and action happening nonstop in the book of Acts because the message has to get out. And we need to get that message out. But sometimes, especially if you just read the the book of Acts through in one one simple sitting, if you're in a a certain mindset, if, if you're not encouraged, if you're feeling discouraged and despondent and weary even, the book of Acts can feel a little overwhelming. Lord, I, I want to be excited about this. I want to I be moving. I want to be part of your work. But I feel so down. I feel discouraged. I'm afraid. And the Lord knows this. And that's why he has planted little places throughout the book of Acts, throughout his entire scripture, to meet you exactly where you're at and to say, let's slow down just for a moment. Let me meet you and let me comfort you. Let me encourage you so that you're refreshed and rejuvenated for the mission that I'm sending you out on. That's what our text is doing today. There's so many different things going on in this passage. And we looked at at least one part last week. But this week, I want to focus in on that vision that God gives to Paul in in verses 9 and 10. Because Paul, in this passage is one of those people that is weary. Paul, the Apostle Paul of all people, is one of those people that is just discouraged and, and he needs rejuvenated so that he can be about this, this emphatic work of the Lord. We get a window into Paul's kind of his heart, his condition uh, when he comes to Corinth. And we get that window because in 1 Corinthians 2.13, uh, you yourselves are, sorry, um, yes, 1 Corinthians 2 the beginning of that passage, which we heard read this morning, Paul says clearly how he was feeling when he first came to Corinth. He says, I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. As Paul comes to Corinth, he is depressed, he is discouraged, he is fearful, he is insecure. And we shouldn't be too surprised about this. Because if you know anything about the city of Corinth, you know it wasn't a great, encouraging kind of place. You know, as Paul moved from Athens to Corinth, you remember what happened in Athens. He encountered indifference, people that said, ah, interesting talk about a resurrected Savior. And Paul says, I'm out of here. You know, I'm going somewhere else now. They They were indifferent to his message. Well, he comes to Corinth. He comes to a city that's not just indifferent, but is morally corrupt to its core. A moral cesspool. Corinth had got a name for itself. Um, in fact, its name was turned into a verb, to Corinthianize. If you were to Corinthianize, you were to be sexually immoral. You were to be sexually impure. And that's why, that's because the Corinthians were known for that. Every night, a thousand prostitutes descended from from the temple of of Aphrodite and and made their way out into the streets uh, to work their trade. And they had much business. A thousand prostitutes throughout that city. Every night. 
Corinth was a moral cesspool and it had gotten a name for itself, Corinthianize. And so we saw Paul's reaction uh, to Athens and the idols there. When he comes to Corinth and he sees all this, he must have seen a city that just made him wonder, how do I get the gospel out here? How do I get the gospel into this world that is, that is so corrupt? I wonder if we wonder that sometimes as we look around. Corinth was known for its prostitution, its homosexuality. And Paul, Paul struggles to find the words, he tells us in the book of Corinthians for this culture. So he meets it with fear and trembling. And yet this vision from the Lord comes and says, don't be afraid. Keep speaking. Know that your work isn't worthless. That's the basic flow of this sermon. Don't be afraid. Fear not. Keep speaking. Know that your work isn't worthless. Let's look at each of these as we unpack this vision. And and my prayer is that you will be comforted as well. Because I know many of you here today are weary workers. You're looking at a world out there and you say, "I, I, I don't know how to keep going. I don't know what to do. I'm afraid for all these different reasons. And, um, We're going to lean into this. But the first thing I want you to see before we get into each of those um, phrases from this vision, I want you to see that this entire vision comes from the Lord Jesus. It says in here that it's a vision from the Lord. But if you look up that word Lord used elsewhere in the book of Acts, you'll see this isn't just a vague reference to to God in general. It's, It's a reference to God the Son to the person work of, of Jesus, the risen Lord Jesus. And you'll notice here that as Jesus speaks to his church, he uses words that are very familiar. Don't be afraid. I'm with you. I know my people. Where, do we, where have we heard these words before? How about over and over and over and over again in the Old Testament? They are the words that Jehovah, the God of Israel, speaks to his people. His famous words, fear not, I'm with you. I know my people. Let my people go. These are the kinds of words that Jehovah speaks. And now who's speaking it? Jesus, because Jesus is Jehovah. Because Jesus is God. And he's speaking to his church with those words that have been a comfort to Israel and are are still a comfort today. Don't be afraid. Paul was afraid? Have you ever thought about that? Usually in the book of Acts, Paul's like the guy that seems super confident. And he's the one that stands up and says things, even though he knows he's going to get beat down. Was Paul afraid? He must have been because the Lord doesn't waste words. So he's speaking to Paul. But more than that, Paul himself tells us he was afraid. You heard it. He said, I came to you in Corinth with much fear and trembling. I was afraid. I was scared. Why was Paul afraid? Well, we can think of the reasons why we are often afraid to do God's work. 
Fear of failure stands out to us. But here in this passage, I think there's a a very clear reason why Paul is actually afraid. It's not so much the fear of failure, but the fear of success. And you'll see what I mean in just a moment. Notice that in this passage, it's kind of strange that the vision comes out and says, hey, don't be afraid because there are some good things that are starting to happen. Paul's just met uh, Prisca and Aquila and they're helping him out. He, uh, his his uh, companions, Timothy and Silas, arrive in town and they're there to help him. He starts to see converts to the faith. So you're wondering, why is Paul afraid? There's, there's good things happening here. There's success. Friends, that's why he's afraid, because success is happening. Because Paul has gotten used to this pattern where when good things start happening, when the gospel starts uh, gaining fame in an area, the people don't like that. And the next thing after he sees success is a big punch across the face. He's anticipating it at this point. He says, this is like clockwork. I know what's going to happen. People are going to come to faith. There's going to be someone famous in the city that embraces Christ. And then, um, and then people, a mob comes and attacks me and stones me and kicks me out. He's ready for it. He's afraid of what success means. It leads to what? To persecution. It draws attention to the gospel. It intensifies opposition. It provokes a reaction. And so what do you think Paul's wondering? As Paul says to the Jews, you're not believing in Jesus. The blood of the Savior be upon your own hands if you don't embrace him. Then, of course, there's going to be persecution that comes in the next moment. And he knows this. And I think this is all too familiar for us. Sometimes, I mean, I don't know about you, but, but oftentimes when, when things are going well, with, as, I, as I speak to my neighbors about the gospel, as I preach the gospel to you, somewhere way back in my mind is this thought. And that thought is, oh boy, things are looking good. Where's the attack from Satan? What, what comes next? Where, where's, where's the beating? Where's, where's the persecution? Where's the, if this feels like a high, where's the low? And we can start to invent trouble for ourselves, anticipate trouble, saying, what's coming next? What's coming next? Where's the trouble? It's the what ifs that eat us up. Fear of man. Fear of what man can do to us. Fear of what success will bring. And yet this precious promise comes. Don't be afraid. It's the most repetitive promise in the scriptures. You'll hear it over and over and over again. Don't fear. And that alone should bring some comfort to your souls as you're afraid of what's coming next. Why? Weary workers, because the God who, who controls all things, who holds the world in his hands, who knows all things, this is the God that says to us, don't be afraid. And when I was a little child, I think it, it did me some, some real good just to hear my mom and dad say when I, was, when I was frightened of the dark, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. Because I knew that they knew what they were doing. God knows what he's doing when he says, don't be afraid to you. But he doesn't just leave you there. He gives you a precious promise. He says, I am with you. Did you see that in verse 10? He said, 
I am with you. And of course, we think of all the times that God said that in the Old Testament. And he really was with his people, with them to dwell with them, with them to keep them, with them to keep them safe. And then we hear that same promise repeated by Jesus in the Great Commission. I'm sending you out. Go preach the gospel. And and workers, you're going to get weary. So you need to know this. I'm with you till the end of the age. You know, sometimes you start to wonder, is God really with me? Doesn't feel like it. Where are you, God? And so we need this sturdy reminder. I am with you. I'm here. He says, I won't let your enemies hurt you in this city. I won't let them grab a hold of you and bring you to final destruction. Uh, And you'll notice that the kind of picture here is one of, I'm going to use an analogy from football, pocket protection. You ever seen like you're watching a football game and you see the quarterback and he's there and you've got those offensive linemen that line up and they're pushing back the enemy. They're pushing back the defense, keeping them from getting to the quarterback if they're doing their job well. That's pocket protection. And a quarterback will talk about he'll love it. He says, I love that pocket protection. You didn't let those guys get to me. God's saying to Paul, there is pocket protection for you in this city. There, there are linemen lined up that you don't even know about. There are, there are angels. There, are, there is something behind the scenes that is going to keep the enemies from devouring you. There are people who want to rip Paul to shreds. But notice the picture here of God's protection. We see by the end of this passage evidence that God really is with Paul to bless him. And he's with us to bless us. Notice what happens. The the Jews, um, which by the way, this is not a a critique of all Jews, right? It's speaking of unbelieving, uh, unbelieving Jews, those who are rejecting the Savior. This is not a racist comment. It's talking about those who have rejected the Savior and who are, are, are out to get Paul. They've concocted a plan to finally put him to an end. But the governing authority of that city suddenly steps in and says, wait. No, I'm not going to let this happen. And, and the, governing, the governing authority of that city, of all people, provides this kind of open access where those who want to take Paul out can't. And for an entire year and a half, Paul is able to labor there. Pocket protection that Paul didn't know about. And the application for us, the thing that should encourage us, is that friends, we might not even see it behind the scenes, but but God has ordained it such that nothing can do us ultimate harm. Even if people can lay a hold of Christians, persecute us, they can take our life, but they cannot separate us from God. They cannot take away the hope of heaven. Is that encouraging? I hope it is. It's it's, it's meant as an encouragement for you that you have protection from God that he has promised that you you might, might not even know the details of. And so God says, don't be afraid. The vision also says this. Keep speaking and don't be silent. Now, here's the thing. Fear makes us afraid to speak, doesn't it? After all, it's the words of the gospel, the verbal message of the gospel that gets us in trouble with people. It's not doing good deeds. Usually, sometimes, you know, sometimes that does get us in trouble. 
But usually, the prominent thing that really gets, uh, uh, gets people angry with, with those of us who, who are Christians is that we talk about Jesus as the Bible presents him. We talk about sin. We talk about selfishness. We talk about a problem that all people have. We talk about separation from God. Because how can sinners who are stained by guilt and sin live in the presence of a perfect and holy God? We can't. And so we preach this message. We proclaim this message. And then we say, you, you have to humble yourself. You have to say that you can't, by your own works, get into heaven. You can't work your way right before God. You have to confess you're a sinner. You have to get low. You have to crawl on the ground and meet this Savior at the foot of the cross and embrace all that he did for you that you cannot do for yourself to be saved. Now that is a message that offends. It just is. It's a message that touches people at the, heart, at the very heart of a life that wants to say, I am good. I can be right before God. Don't tell me otherwise. Don't tell me how to live my life. Don't tell me I have to repent. Don't tell me I have to uh, turn, turn from, uh, from sexual immorality. Don't tell me I can't um, enjoy the, the, the prostitutes of Corinth. I want life on my own terms. And we come and we say, friend, I was right where you were. And with, apart from the grace of God, I'd be there too. But you need to repent and you need to embrace Christ or there is no hope outside of that. It's that verbal message that stirs up opposition with our world. And we know that, I think we know that because we're tempted to tone it down. We're tempted to kind of take the edges off that serrated message. We're tempted to go quiet. Maybe if I just talk a bit less about Jesus, then I'll stop. Maybe, maybe I'll stop taking heat from people. Maybe my coworkers will like me more. Maybe my neighbors will, will be more accepting. Um, maybe, maybe I can, can live at a greater peace with people. Maybe my family will be happier with me if I don't just talk about Jesus and sin and how they need to embrace him for eternal life. And so we tend to... to um, to tone it down. We tend to go quiet. And that's why God touches this and says, don't go silent, Paul. Don't spend your time in Corinth just looking around at, at all, the, all the corruption around you and not saying anything. Don't tone down your message, Paul. Why does God say this? Well, it's because inactivity imprisons fears. If we don't say anything, we're not actually dealing with our fears. We're actually caging our fears up in our hearts. We're not sharing with the world a message that desperately needs shared. And so we shouldn't be surprised when, when those fears actually come back later and, and we've imprisoned them and they've grown larger and larger and larger. And then we start to, to, to struggle to see God clearly through the mountain of those fears. God says, don't imprison your fears through inactivity. The antidote is to face our fears and speak even through our trembling and our weakness. Are you afraid to speak about Jesus? Are you afraid of what people will think when you talk about him? 
Maybe you're afraid to embrace Jesus as the Savior. Because you'll say, well, that'll change my whole life. God says that weakness is actually the fuel that, that, that sends a life burning into ministry. Weakness actually fuels our ministry because it's done in dependence upon God. That's what Paul realized. It was when he was weakest. It was when he was at his lowest point. It was when he was most afraid to speak. And yet he did. It was when he wanted to to walk away from all of this that he said, that's when I need the Savior the most. You see, when you realize that you are most nervous, most weak, most afraid to to talk about Jesus, to embrace the Savior, that's exactly where you need to be. Because that's where you say, God... It's all of you and none of me. Because I've got nothing right now. God, you need to give me the words. You need to give me the strength to say what I just don't want to say. And Lord, if there's any ounce of faith in me that lays a hold of the Savior, that's not my strength. That's my weakness and you working through me to, to lead me, to open my heart, to embrace him. Keep Speaking, light of the nations. Don't go silent. Don't be afraid. Keep speaking. And finally, know that your work isn't worthless. This is perhaps um, the, the aspect of this vision that is most intriguing, that, that, that grabs a hold of us. And, and, and it's because there's something very interesting and important for us to hear in this final part of the vision. The reason why Paul must overcome fear to proclaim Jesus, the reason why we must take heat for talking about our Savior is because there is a goalpost. And that's the salvation of our friends, of our neighbors, of those that we love. There are people who God intends to save. And he says it this way, Paul, I have many people in this city who are my people, my people. Now, here's what's so interesting about that. You look at that and you think, could this be the people that have already come to faith in Christ? Well, there were so, so few of them already. What God is speaking about clearly in this phrase is the people who do not yet know the Savior. There are people, there are people that God has chosen before the foundation of the world who have not yet heard of Christ and yet who will hear of him and who will believe because of God's powerful working in their lives. God is saying, I have elect in this city. I have people who I intend to bring to faith in this city and I know them even though they don't know me yet. But they're gonna know me soon, Paul. And the only way they're gonna know is that you tell them about me. Now, that's motivating to Paul. And it's been very motivating to missionaries in the history of the church. They say, there are people that God intends to save in Dayton, Ohio? Then let's talk about what we believe. Let's talk about Jesus. Even if it kind of weirds people out. Even if it brings the heat. Because God has people he intends to save. And notice that those people he intends to save are called my people. Special word, covenant word, all throughout the Old Testament. Let my people go, said Moses, said the Lord through Moses to Pharaoh. And that's what he is saying to Paul here. He's saying, 
There are people that are wrapped around with lies and in darkness, and I intend to free them from their slavery. Bring them out of Egypt. Let my people go. Paul, you're going to be the one to do it. You're going to be the one to speak, and I'm going to save. And I'm going to expand my people. No no longer just Jews, but now believing Jews and believing Greeks. My people, my Israel. Dayton, light of the nations, what does this mean for you? Well, the Lord says to us as we serve here in Dayton, don't be afraid. I'm with you. I won't let ultimate harm befall you. Don't stop speaking. Don't go quiet. Don't stop sharing the good news about this Savior. For I have people who are my people, and I intend to save them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for speaking to us in your scriptures. Sometimes, Lord, we need that encouragement, that vision, because we're feeling weary and we're not particularly encouraged to talk about Christ. We've taken a lot of heat. We don't know why we and and other people feel so far from the gospel. We pray that this message would grab a hold of us, grab a hold of our lives, transform us by the working of the Holy Spirit to be people who even in our fear and weakness are diligent to do the difficult things you call us to do and that you would save through the proclamation of your word. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.